Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right, we are continuing in James chapter 2 today on the pod, and we're going to get to probably a pretty famous section of the letter of James, in which he says some things that can sound initially contradictory to some other places in the New Testament, but I believe are very complementary and important to really understand uh, the New Testament teaching on faith and works. And um, James is writing in a different context and kind of in a different perspective. So we'll kind of talk about that as we go through, but this is a pretty uh, well-known section in James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26 is where we'll be today. Yeah, like Stephen said, it's a section that is often confused and people see as contradictory. In fact, it was Martin Luther who threw out the entire book of James because he found this section to contradict what Paul said in the book of Romans. And we're going to discuss the fact that that's not the case at all. Like Stephen said, they complement each other. And it's a real blessing that we have this text here before us today. So we're going to read verses 14 through 26. So we're just going to take this whole section and then we'll slow down and talk about it. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And then as we go back through, Stephen will reference his ESV. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, And one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled. And yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So one of the questions I think James wants us to come away with from this section is, is my faith dead? Um, It is possible to have a form of faith in Jesus that doesn't change your life and doesn't do anything. And he's going to point out at the end of all this, if your faith does not move you to action, it is pointless. Which is kind of interesting. Um, Back at the beginning of chapter 2, we talked about partiality last week. And um, he says in verse 1, Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. And so uh, you, you have faith, but you have partiality with that faith. That's no good. And he continues in this chapter by saying, what good is it if you have faith, but you do not act on that faith? Right. No works. I mean, this is a Jesus 101 principle, which is why I think James is getting at it. If you say that you believe, or if you say that you are wanting to trust Jesus or trust God, but what you do doesn't match that faith or trust, what does Jesus call that? 
He calls that hypocrisy. Um, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Yeah, exactly. When you are saying all the right things, but you're not doing those things, you're a hypocrite. And so James here lines it up for us really well and says, it doesn't work that way. I just, I don't know about you, but I kind of picture James as just one of those guys who just shoots straight. Yep. And he's like, come on, guys, like... Get it together. Which, I mean, if he was, uh, you know, like Jesus from Nazareth and kind of this, you know, uh, out of the way town in Galilee, I mean, he's just, he would have grown up. I mean, maybe also as a carpenter, you know, learning the father's business. And he just, he shoots straight with people. Yep. And uh, this is one of those sections of James where you can almost just picture him sitting down and be like, come on, man. Like, seriously? Yeah. You can't have faith if you're not doing anything. And so um, he starts out and says, what good is it if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And this is a really important question. He talks about salvation here and says, like, you can talk the talk all you want, but if you're not walking the walk, that's not going to save you. And it, it echoes what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been doing this throughout. You know, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. James already talked about this in chapter 1 when he talked about hearing and doing the word. Don't just be a hearer, but a doer. Otherwise, you're like the guy who looks in the mirror and then forgets mm-hmm. you know, what, what it's revealed. Um, so this is a, just really practical, very helpful. And what's really cool about James is he illustrates his points. Have you noticed what examples he likes to use in chapter 2, earlier, he talked about the sin of partiality, and he used the example of poor brethren treating some rich guy that comes into the assembly a certain way and treating someone that's poor a different way. And here, he uses the same example with someone who looks to be a poor brother or sister in Christ. And if they come in and they don't have any clothing and they have need of daily food, and you go and say to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, what good does that do them? And it's almost comical. I do think this is supposed to be kind of funny. That would look ridiculous if, if a brother or sister in Christ or maybe someone you're really close to came and said, I'm hungry, I don't have clothing, and you look at them and say, oh, I, I am just so sorry about that. Well, see you later. You know, like that just... I'll pray for you. Yeah, exactly. What, what good is that, man? Like, get in there, do something about it, help them in some way. And that's his whole point here. That looks ridiculous when you treat people that way. Yes. And he points out, really this section is bookended by James saying, verse 17, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And at the end, he'll talk about the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead. Um, It's so, so important that we, there's a danger for people who want to follow Jesus to be really, really serious about Bible study, to be really, really serious about getting into the Word. I mean, obviously, we're passionate about that. That's what we want to do. But there's a danger for all of us who want to know a lot and study well to have all the right answers to the questions. But if we fail to act on them, mm. that is an empty shell of a faith. It yeah. does no good. If, if our faith in, in listening to the teachings of Jesus and, and what he said and what he did does not move us to change our actions and change our life, then it's pointless. And, and that's, that's sobering for me. That's sobering for all of us because, I mean, we can talk a good Christian talk. We can learn the lingo and say all the right things. And again, James is just cutting through all that and says, listen, 
if, if you don't have action, if you're not actually helping people and actually getting out there and doing it, what's the point? Yeah. It's, it's useless. So his whole argument really is summed up well there in verses 14 through 17. But now James in verse 18 kind of shifts to, to what is really a Paul thing where he anticipates an argument that some might <laughs> give. Yeah. What shall we say then? Yeah, exactly. And you see that all throughout the book of Romans, um, places in the Corinthian letters as well. But here James says, well, look, some of you might be out there saying, well, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. And I, I do wonder if the point is some of them are saying, well, I have the gift of faith. I just trust God so hard. It's, it's just such a gift that I trust God so much. And then there's some of the other brethren that are saying, well, I, I don't really have a whole lot of faith, but I'm, I'm good at doing good deeds and I have all these works that I do. And James is saying, why are you trying to separate those two things? That makes no sense. Yeah, and, and this is true with all kinds of different gifts. Is you say, well, you, you do that and I'll do this. And I mean, it is true that like there are different gifts that we have, but like love, for instance, is a universal gift. And we need to all learn to love. We can't say, oh, like you have love and I have, you know, whatever else it is. No, like we all got to learn to love. And faith and works are universal things that we all need to do. Faith, hope, and love, you know, are these things that every Christian um, is to have and to grow in. Um, and so I, I think it's kind of interesting that uh, at least the way the ESV does, verse 18, um, it seems like the, the argument he's anticipating is that you have faith and I have works. And then he comes back and says, all right, here we go. You show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith yeah. by my works. And yeah. again, I, the New American Standard puts the whole thing it in does. quotation marks. It does, but I kind of like the ESVs of that. James, it looks like, and I like the way the ESV does that, is now kind of responding to this person that's trying to divide these up by saying, no, actually, the person that does works, the question is, why are they doing it? Because they have faith in God, because they have trust in God, they love him, and as a result... It moves them to have works. Yeah. But either way, at verse 19, he's going to bring the hammer down and say, all right, you believe that God is one. Now, he says here, you do well. So in the Greek, this is literally like, you do beautifully. I think this is very sarcastic. Oh, James, absolutely. To be like, way to go, man. You believe that God is one. Mm. Whoop-de-doo yeah. if you don't act on it. Guess who else believes? the demons yeah, yeah. and they tremble and i mean i think about like legion you know like that story where the guy's been in the tombs and he's like nobody can chain him up and he comes out and what does he do like he believes in jesus yeah. he comes down and he falls down before him he's like please don't torment me and like it's crazy and, and he's scared of jesus because he knows that he's the demon is not obeying jesus he's just scared of being judged by jesus yes and uh, we see that a couple of times in the Gospel of Mark uh, in our season one. We talked about that, where the demons will come up and they'll even say, Jesus, um, who are you, son of the most high God? They recognize and they believe in who he is. And like Stephen said, they fear him. But does that make them a follower? Does that make them holy? Right. No, not That's at all. all. I mean, you talk about not pulling any punches. I mean, to the people, he's like, all right. You got faith without works. Let me tell you, uh, you're about at the same level as um, the the demons. Yeah, mm -hmm. like wow, <laughs> that is quite a quite a way to say it. Um, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, wow. If we have faith just by itself, 
that doesn't put us on a level any better than the demons. It's good to believe. Now, I want to note here that the belief he's talking about here is just kind of like the mental assent. Like, I, I accept these things to be true. God is one. You know, the demons believe that God is one. They understand about who God is and about who Jesus is, but they're not serving him. They're not showing it by their works. Uh, they've rebelled against God, and they're working against him. They're working for Satan. And so it's the same thing. Like, if we, we can say right things about God and mentally believe the facts about God, but if that does not move us to serve him, we're at the same level as people serving Satan. This reminds me of John 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, many of the rulers believed in Jesus, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing him for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. They had belief but they wouldn't confess and their actions wouldn't act on that faith or belief that they had in Jesus Christ. And so that's what ultimately condemned them here. And so belief is important, certainly is, but it's got to go further than that. Um, Verse 20 says, but are you willing to recognize you foolish fellow that faith without works is useless? Again, James does not pull any punches here. He calls them foolish here. I do want to point out, he also has been calling them his beloved brethren. And right. so he loves them, but he still says something to them that's hard, but that they need to hear. And we got to remember that. If we're going to say something hard to our, our brethren, they got to know that we love them and that it's coming from a place of love. So yeah. I don't think James is out of line here. And, he, and he also may be uh, responding to the hypothetical person. Sure. But if someone says, you have faith and I have works, he's right. like, no, 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 can't, can't do that. Um, so verse 21, fascinating how James does this. He shifts again to illustrate with an example. And he goes back to an example the Jews would have been most familiar with, their forefather Abraham. And he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? This is really interesting to see how James does this because Paul will use the same instance in the life of Abraham to illustrate being justified by faith apart from works in Romans chapter 4. And this is where you're like, okay, wait a minute. Like, what what are you talking about? And I want to take just a second as we illustrate this to talk about, like, context and how important context is to understand the flow of the book, to understand the flow of an argument. Um, In Romans, Paul is writing to a heavily divided Jew-Gentile church. And one of the things that has been dividing them is a teaching that Gentiles have to keep the law of Moses, the works of that law, and a a Jewish misconception that keeping the Torah, keeping the law of Moses is what saves you. That's really the source of salvation. And Gentiles, you have to keep that law if you want to be saved. And so Paul has to bend over backwards talking to the churches in Rome and saying, no, it is not law that saves you. It is not works of law that save you. It's apart from that. It's God's grace. It is your trust in Jesus that saves you. And he's very clear in Romans that it's not faith by itself. He never says that. Um, that There's a very common misconception that goes around that says faith alone, faith alone, faith alone is what saves you. Here's the deal. We're about to get to the only place in the whole Bible where it says faith alone in just a minute. It's going to say Faith alone doesn't save you. Um, That's James' whole point here. But let me just say this. When we think about the word works, we have to understand the context 
and who's speaking and what's going on. In the book of Romans, Paul has this whole false concept that he's working against when he is teaching against you're saved by faith, not by works. And he says it really strongly. You know, no no works, no, no works are going to save you. And James comes around and says, yeah, by the way, Abraham was justified by works. And it's like, what are you talking about? The works that James is talking about is a different sense of the word. In Romans, works are the idea of earning your salvation by keeping the laws. Then the laws might be good, but no amount of law keeping is going to forgive your sins. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. In the book of James, he's talking about works as just any kind of action that comes from faith. And he says, faith without any action, without doing anything, like helping your poor brother in need, or doing what God said, like Abraham offering Isaac on the altar, Abraham could have believed God all day long and said, I, I believe God, I, I you know, did this. But what did Abraham do? He got up the next morning and he went to Moriah and he offered, he took the knife in his hand to kill his son. He, he showed that he really believed God when he acted on that faith. And he wasn't earning anything by doing that. He wasn't trying to save himself, but he was responding in faith by acting on it. And that's James' whole point here is that that's when God says, now I know you fear me because you've not withheld your son, your only son from me. And so these two senses of works are, are different, but they complement each other. No good thing we do is going to save us, but without responding with action toward God, Faith alone will not save us. You know, I think about Ephesians 2 with the same point. It's very similar to what Paul was saying in Romans. But in Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So there's that idea of, of working by law and flesh to find your justification opposed by faith. But verse 10 of Ephesians 2 that we went through is really important. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Uh, good works, um, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Okay, so that I think Ephesians 2 is kind of a good middle point to see the balance between these two ideas. Um, it's not our faith, or excuse me, it's not our works that are fit, the physical things that we do that save us. Only the blood of Jesus saves us. But there is a way we respond in good works to Jesus in the way that God prepared for us to do so. That's right. So th this is a perfect balance, and uh, I don't think we need to do what Martin Luther did and, and just rip James out of our entire Bible and throw it to the side. But we, we do see a reconciliation of sorts here and a balance that is really beautiful once you see it. Yes, because if we start to trust in the stuff that we do, Oh, that's what really saves me. That's what really connects me to God. Go read Romans. Right. Go read Galatians. Go read Ephesians. No, that's not going to save you. But if we start to get lazy and we start to think, ah, I just kind of mentally check off the like, yeah, I believe God. I believe in Jesus and God raised from the dead. That's, that's pretty cool. No, go read James. And like, it, they're kind of like guardrails that keep us from relying on our works for salvation. Go read Romans. That'll get you back on track. Or if you think it doesn't really matter how I live, I can just kind of like say the right religious things and be good. Go read James and that'll get you back on track and keep you from being a lazy Christian. So it, there's so many passages in scripture like this that they seem to be at odds with each other because they're written for different purposes, for different audiences, but they really help to balance each other out. I really like um, verse uh, 22 as it talks about Abraham's faith being active 
And it says, and his faith was completed by his works. My translation says his faith was perfected by his works. And that's a really cool idea that we've kind of already talked about in James. As Abraham is going through this trial, it's a test. That's what God uh, calls it. It's a test for Abraham. As he goes up on the mountain, his faith is being perfected or completed as he puts his trust in God to even be able to raise his son Isaac back from the dead. And so I think that's another way to look at it. When we're going through test or trial, it's testing our faith. But as we persevere through it, as we get through it and endure through it, it is going to perfect our faith in a beautiful way or complete it, as the ESV says. Yeah. And verse 23 is so cool because he quotes here from Genesis 15, which is actually earlier in the life of Abraham before he was tested with the offering of his son Isaac. But a super important verse that's quoted in several places in the New Testament. James quotes it here. It says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. It's really fascinating. Abraham believed God back in chapter 15 when God said, Look at the stars of heaven. That's how many of your descendants are going to be. And Abraham said, I don't see it yet, but I trust you. I believe that. But that belief, that faith, was completed later in Abraham's life. Like you just mentioned, perfected or completed when he offered his son Isaac on the altar and says, God, I really trust you. And so one without the other is useless. Um, we Abraham believed God, and he showed that he believed God and was justified by his faith when he acted on it and did the works that God asked him to do. And so that's a beautiful thing. And I love that it says in verse 23, he was called the friend of God. Oh, man, doesn't that give you chills? What a beautiful yeah. title. And the friend of God is the one who acts on what God says, it, it, acting out of trust and not acting to earn anything, not right. acting to, to, you know, somehow say, oh, now I, you owe it to me, God. No, he's the friend of God who listens to God and does what God asks. And God says, now I know. Right. Now I know you're mine. And man, don't we want to be a friend of the Lord? Isn't that the best friend that you could ever have? It also reminds me of, it, it talks about Noah walking with God, just that idea of having that fellowship, that close relationship with the Father. And that's something we can have as well. But we need to put our trust in him and do what he says. Um, have works along with your faith. Yes. So then um, he in verse 24, he says, You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. As Stephen was saying earlier, it's a very popular teaching, actually. Faith alone, faith alone. Um, what is it? Sola something. I can't remember. Sola fida. Sola fida. Thank you. Um, but... What does it say here? Verse 24. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. And that's the only time that faith alone shows up in the New Testament. Again, it's so common to run across, oh, the Bible says over and over and over that we're justified by faith alone. The Bible says over and over and over that we're justified by faith. Amen. I mean, just go read Romans, go read Ephesians, any of these books. Um, It does say we're justified by faith. But the only time... The New Testament says faith only or faith alone is right here in James 2, verse 24, yeah. and it says not by faith alone. Now, again, we uh, every time you like emphasize one side of it, you have to say the other. It doesn't say that we're justified by works alone yeah. either. Yeah, that's <laughs> it says point. justified by works two times in this section, and we need to recognize that works play a role in that. 
they are not the thing that saves us, though. And that's his whole point in Romans and Galatians is like, you're not justified by works of law. Here he says, yes, there is a sense in which you are justified by works when your works are completing your faith. And those things balance each other and can keep us from getting off on either extreme of I earn my salvation, works, 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 or getting off on the it doesn't matter what I do, faith, faith, faith only, and I don't have to respond. Yeah. And um, that's just helpful to see. Yes. So what I really love in these next two verses, specifically verse 25, is that it brings up a woman named Rahab the harlot, who by faith uh, was also justified when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Now, a lot of cool things we could talk about with this. First thing I want to point out is that Rahab the harlot is actually an ancestor of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. um, we went through the Gospel of Mark in season one and then did Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. But if you went back and looked at Matthew chapter 1, Rahab is mentioned as being in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That's right. And one of the things we learn as you go back and you read through specifically the book of Joshua is that Rahab actually didn't start off as a Hebrew or as a Jewish, uh, as a, a Jewish woman. She was a pagan. Um, she was in the city that was going to be destroyed as the Israelites were coming in to take the land that God had promised them. And when the spies come in to see about the land, Rahab takes them into her home to hide them from the king and from those who were trying to come and get them and kill them. Now, Rahab obviously was not a perfect woman. Um, she was a prostitute. That is what she is known as. And that's what the New Testament refers to her as. But in that, um, in that chapter, as the spies hide her and, and take care, and she, uh, excuse me, as she hides the spies and she takes care of them, she'll have this great proclamation of her faith in Yahweh and talk about all of the great things that she knows that he's done. And she knows that Jericho is going to be overthrown if that's what the Lord wants. And so I just really appreciate the character of Rahab. And in that whole section of, of Joshua, you see her faith, her trust in the Lord. And as a result, her and her entire household are, so, are saved in that day. And she ends up becoming a part of this Jewish nation. Uh, nation. Yes. And of course, repents of her previous lifestyle. Exactly. Previous job. And which is, just, I think it just kind of goes without saying. But it fascinated me that the two examples James uses here almost could not be more different. You've got Abraham and Rahab. You've got a man and a woman. You've got a Jew and a Gentile. You've got someone uh, probably wealthy, pretty well off, and someone who's having to be a prostitute to get by. You've got two total people from totally different walks of life who both put their faith in God and show that faith by their works. And Rahab was putting her neck on the line by rescuing these two men. If they had found out what had really happened, she would have been a goner. Yeah. And so she's risking her life to save these men who are there to destroy her city. I mean, she's turning her back on her people by turning toward the Lord. And that amount of faith is incredible. Um, to think about what she was giving up in choosing to protect those spies and choosing to accept, yeah, the nation of Israel is where it's at. Like, that God is their God, and I want to be a part of this. It's just amazing. And so I think it's really interesting that Abraham and Rahab, again, almost two completely opposite people, are both the examples here of being justified by works, by believing God to the point that it makes you make a great sacrifice, whether it's Abraham putting his son on the altar, almost impossible to overstate the amount of sacrifice there, 
or Rahab putting her own people in her own city on the altar, so to speak, and saying, I will serve God um, and, and believe in him. Um, because of what, what I've heard, I believe. And look, this isn't the only two places that these two individuals are talked about in the New Testament. Um, Abraham is mentioned a whole lot more times, but if you just back up to the book before this, the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, it'll talk about people who did great things because of their faith in God. And Abraham is on that list, and it spends a good amount of time on him. But guess who else is on that list? Rahab the, the harlot, or Rahab the prostitute. And it'll talk about the faith that she had in Yahweh, and the deliverance that he was able to have um, but because of the faith that she had. And it's just a, a beautiful example for us of someone who is changed by faith in Jesus Christ and, and faith in God ultimately here. Um, and let that be a lesson to us as well. That There is no point of, of no return for us. It doesn't matter how far off we get into sin or into the world. We can always come back by putting our faith in, in the Lord, um, and he can transform us, as he did with Abraham, as he does with Rahab. But we need to have works on top of that. Um, we need to put trust in him and then execute that faith. In verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So the question, as we titled the podcast today, is, is your faith dead? If you're someone that claims to have faith in Jesus Christ, uh, what's the question is, what am I doing to show that faith? Um, Stephen and I are asking that for ourselves right now, and we hope you're asking that too. Yeah, it's a sobering thing. And I mean, James just is very straightforward in this section. Uh, I also just, as a side note, as we wrap up here, uh, the, the body and spirit analogy here is really fascinating to think about because the way God created Adam um, in Genesis 2 is he takes the dust to the ground and makes it into a body. But it's not until God breathes his spirit into that body that it becomes alive. Um, and that's really true. And that's really what happens when we die, right? Is mm-hmm. the body and the spirit separate and, um, and our physical body dies. And so he's saying, you know, we might go to a religious gathering or we might say a lot of religious things, but without living it, you're just like a cadaver. Yep. You're, you're a body without a spirit um, and, it's, and it's dead. Yep. And uh, we have to to live for Jesus and not just say, Lord, Lord, but do the will of the Father. Yep. So what are you going to do today to put this to action? What are you going to do today to work on your faith and on the works that you need to do? That's the question we we want to end on. Lord willing, we're going to get into chapter three next week and another really practical section of James we're going to get into where he'll talk about the tongue and our language, our speech, what we say will be the focus of chapter three. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the podcast, please uh, subscribe, leave a rating or a review. Uh, We would love to study with you uh, like this. If you'd like, if you have Bible questions, 717-585-0949 or capitalcitychristians at gmail.com or for more information, see capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.